Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. <sighs> the only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no popcorn. Welcome to episode 29. Happy New Year. It's no popcorn. Jamboree 2020 edition. We're not done with the worst year of all time yet. We're going to look back on it from a film point of view. Best and worst and all that kind of stuff. Norma Howard is here. How are you? Howdy. How are we doing? We're doing I good. I waved just for yeah. measure. <laughs> it was great. Anyone? Yeah. Grand. And we're also joined, of course, by David Higgins, who... Uh, hey, because I kind of feel like you should host this episode because this is your baby. Like you came up with the idea of having a Oscars-style night for the show, so take it away. Well, I, I'm very conscious that I, I gave you a very dour season's greetings last time, so I'll say Happy New Year! Great to see you. A little bit more energy than I, I was last time. I'm not hungover. Um, yeah, uh, just a little break from uh, our usual uh, music and movie-based uh, podcast to do kind of a bit of a roundup at the end of year. Uh, some kind of traditional categories like your best movie, your best uh, lead role, best supporting role, but then some kind of things that we hold dear to ourselves, like uh, the best trash, uh, you know, the most bizarre performance. Uh, obviously, we want to keep the theme of music, so we're going to look at needle drops as well and scores. So yeah, hopefully it'll be it'll be fun. A weird year to do it because there's. Not a lot of movies or, you know, we're lucky in the sense, I suppose, that 
our release window. So I think Norma mentioned it last time, but we're doing the Irish release window. So anything that was in the Oscars last year qualifies for us. So yeah, it would have been a struggle if we were working off the American one because it's basically like what was on Netflix and that's about it. Yeah, I mean, it was a weird year, of course, but like, there's still plenty of opportunity here for some some fun and games, and uh, I think we got like, what, like 14, 15 categories or so, so we'll probably just dive straight into it. Uh, first up, and I guess we'll go around the table, we don't know what we have, by the way, in some cases, so there could be some crossover, there probably will be some crossover, but we'll see what happens. Uh, the first award for No Popcorn, Jamboree 2020, the John Travolta Award for Most Curious Failure of a Performance. This is inspired by The Fanatic, I believe, is that correct? Yeah, um, Moose, Moose and The Fanatic, a very committed performance by John Travolta, it was a it was the t- the subject of a previous no popcorn episode. Um, yeah, he goes all in on it. Um, there's no doubting that, but it doesn't really work. So that's kind of the spirit of uh, of what we're looking for here. Uh, well, that's uh, actually completely perfect for for my shout for this. So let's kick it off with mine. The Lord's delusion in the desert was a game of the so-called devil. And what the Lord experienced was a delusion that would have kept him from saving us. But he did not fall for it. It is our delusions that lead us to sin. Striking a mother or a wife for something that you thought they said. Neglecting work or Sunday service for that matter. Some girl gets a feeling for a fella and lets him have her holy gift. Delusions! Blaspheming the Lord in your mind and in your heart for some wrong done to you by another person. Okay. Do you know who that is? I, I, I haven't seen this movie. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to guess going entirely on like the the netflix preview image that this is someone in the devil all the time that is correct yes is it, it is in fact is it is it robert pattinson just eating again on a on a very subpar netflix movie like he was in the king <laughs> last yep. year it is it's robert pattinson that was robert pattinson yes it's robert pattinson as preacher wow. tea garden in The Devil All the Time, a film that I feel like I will talk about again later. Uh, Netflix, uh, Southern Fried Trash. Terrible film, really violent and disgusting and ugly. He plays this charismatic, handsome preacher who comes to a small town and is, of course, himself full of sin and terrible. And that's the voice that he uses throughout the film. Um, he's clearly been given free reign. We like Robert Pattinson a lot on the show, I think. I think he's a terrific actor. I've been a fan of his for a long time, way before the kind of current, I suppose, fascination with him. But every now and then, he does something like this, and it just doesn't work in a film that just doesn't work. And I was just baffled by this. I was like, how did Antonio Campos, who's the director, not step in and be like, I appreciate what you're doing. Everyone in this film is doing the Southern thing. But Jesus Christ, Rob, can we dial this down, please? And no, it just kept going. I think it might be a case of uh, when you make movies at Netflix that you don't get notes. Just because what, what you're describing uh, reminds me of another very, very big, big, almost, you know, destroys a movie performance in a, in a big budget Netflix movie. Jake Gyllenhaal and Ocha, which is a good movie, but 
it's just like he amps it up to such a such a degree that it's like what are what is happening here um but that I just, or i feel like sometimes with actors it's just they go i've got a, i've got this thing and then you just directors just like they just lose control of them and it's just like they're going to give that performance and that is it like they've chosen what they're going to do and they're going to go for it. And it sounds like from that, like I haven't seen any, any that film or any clips from it, but uh, it sounds like he just went, I've got this and just did whatever he wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. I would urge you to, to keep it that way in terms of not seeing it. Who is your shout for this most curious failure of a performance 2020? So, um, this also pops up again in a little while, but I'm going to just go for this for now. So it's Anya Taylor-Joy as Ilana Rasputin in The New Mutants. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy is someone I really, really like. She's been in a lot of really great films. She seems like a really great actor. Like at the start of the year, I saw Emma. I think that was out in February, just pre-pandemic. She's really good. It actually, like, it really surprised me. I didn't think it was going to be much of muchness. Um, and she's really great. And I spoke about The New Mutants before. It is a terrible, terrible film. But she is particularly <laughs> terrible, terrible, terrible in it. She does this insane Russian accent. Her character is crazy. And she just made... I don't know. Again, like I did, like all of the the entire cast of the New Mutants is de- they definitely were told to like I don't know just ramp up the terror and weirdness, but it just didn't work at all. Um, and she just comes across like she was just on a different planet as opposed to being on that set. It's like very bad movie, so I can't imagine she had much to work with, but. Yeah, terrible, terrible performance out of that as well. Well, at least I suppose that you can take some solace out of the fact that there will never be a sequel to it that has been kind no! of just <laughs> discarded uh, by Disney in the trash heap. <laughs> uh, I feel well, bad we- as well because I think it was like Maisie Williams is like a big part for her coming out of Game of Thrones and she has this insane Scottish accent in it. Like, to be honest, she'd be up there with Anya Taylor-Joy on failure of her performance because it was just so weird and just none of it seemed sincere. I didn't care about anyone and they just were horrible people, all of them. All right, so we we move on to mine. Yes, please. Um, if it isn't who I think it is, I'll be very surprised. But go on. I mean, so if, if, <laughs> I'll just I'll just give a warning before I play this clip that if you're like currently eating, maybe like finish your dinner because this is a quite gross cut of a an absolutely spectacularly scatologically awful performance. Uh, yeah. uh, Yes, of course, it could only be Tom Hardy in Josh Trank's Capone. Um, I think I talked about this in a previous episode. It's it's such a 
insane performance uh both um what tom hardy's doing like it, it seems like an almost uh a parody a meme of like everything people complain about with tom hardy like his you know his habit of uh of mumbling through movies this movie is all mumbles um he's like hidden essentially under this like disgusting decaying uh makeup that just like every every scene as it goes on it just seems like parts of his flesh are just like flaking off his body um a truly truly horrible movie with a you know a batshit it is you know there's no doubt that it's committed because um well i don't know how committed it is i i hope he didn't soil himself the three times that al capone does in this movie i hope he didn't go to those lengths but you know aside from that like everything else is there um i don't think any of you have watched it i hope you haven't no, watched it no. i haven't but uh good to see josh trank respecting the rule of three i'm glad to hear that um uh, this isn't who i thought you would have picked though and i realize it's kind of cheating but i figured one of you guys would have picked this but you didn't so i have prepared a bonus clip kind of an honorable <laughs> mention i suppose uh for most curious failure of performance so higgs if you could hit that music please not a problem i gather you have an interest in a certain russian national i'd play a character called andre sator he is ruthless and he is egotistical and it's truly terrifying this is where our worlds collide we're in a really high stakes thriller this movie is unique at the level and size and scale of filmmaking once you're on the ride of tenant, you're gonna have to really hold on to your seat. How would you like to die? Oh. You chose the wrong profession. I I actually this was my number two, so so congratulations. I mean I, I have kind of a top three for all these, so I uh, you know, aside from Tom Hardy and, and Kenneth Branagh as Andre Sator in Tenet also had like most of the cast of Cats uh, you know I think it is a, is a fair shout for this category but yeah uh, Branna in, in Tenet was definitely one sounds like he might be the uncle or the, the father of uh, Andy Taylor-Joy's character in the New Mutants or something like, went to, to the it same literally school was, he was my number two or like my runner-up choice because I was like who did the worst Russian <laughs> who was it um yeah, was heavily considered. Yeah, Kenneth Branagh and Tenet. I mean, I love it as well, like the clip I have is your classic, you know, media pack, digipack thing from the studio where he's like talking you through the character and he's like, it's like un- unlike anything you've ever seen before. Like, Tenet's a bad film, but fuck me, it's it, it's it's irretrievable as soon as he comes along and is this terrible Russian Bond villain and just awful, so bad. But we'll move on to the Mark Ruffalo They Knew Award, a.k.a. the Give Me the Oscar Moment, inspired by his turn in Spotlight, of course. And this is essentially someone, like, really going for it. Not necessarily, like, the worst thing you've ever seen, but it's just, like, stopping you in your tracks, being like, I'd like to thank the Academy. I think, is that... Am I on the right track here, Higgs? Yeah, you pre- you pretty much have it. Uh, I can't remember what yours was last year. Mine last year was, like, the big Adam Driver scene in uh, Marriage Story. So that kind of, like, <laughs> you know... I think I think a very important thing, and, and maybe it might not apply to both your uh, your picks, but not only is it like an actor kind of you know letting loose, it's also like the screenwriter for me is kind of you know you can feel that when they wrote this, they'd like you know their chest was puffed out, and you know they they feel a little proud of it. So I think both of those things kind of have to be uh, at work for for this particular category. Yeah, uh, Norma, let's have yours first for this. Okay, so we play the clip. Oh, Kyoji, 
looks into the mirror of his youth and decides to break this glass. The maddening reminder of who he once was, assisted by his faithful Sancho, armed with all the black magic at his command, he does just this, destroying in the process not one man, but two. Well, what do you think, Louis? Hmm? You think it'll play? Oh, it's absolutely rotten. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so much vomit and shit. Um, we haven't even got to the lighthouse yet either. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Gary Oldman vomiting um, this time. Uh, as Mank in Mank, um, I didn't like this movie in general, and I definitely felt like the entirety of this performance was geared towards just getting him an Oscar nomination, if not the award itself. It was just even like that entire scene. That's only the that clip is only the very end of that scene. There's a whole like I feel like it goes on like ten minutes of him basically explaining how he's writing a modern Don Quixote and uh, suggesting that different people at the dinner party or who the characters represent, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's so long. It's so kind of like, I guess, what Higgs was saying about the screenwriter as well, having a moment of being like, I'm just going to write this big thing. And like Gary Oldman just literally you just wind him up and he goes off and everyone at the party just sits there and he just shouts around drunkenly for 10 minutes and then vomits his guts up and I it was like there's moments where I feel like he's actually saying really interesting things but I just couldn't get past it because I just did not like what Gary Ullman was doing and how he sounded for most of it but it definitely culminated in the end of it just going I presume he just is like you can give me my best actor nomination now if you like <laughs> no uh, I fully agree it's interesting because I think isolated in context there like it sounds so Shakespearean it's like Shakespeare on the Heath it's a big monologue it's so showy and it's just boring as fuck. I don't like the movie either. Great choice. Um, so I'll, I'll go with mine now. So this isn't... I don't think this is a bad performance. I think it's a good performance. I didn't like the film, but this to me just felt like it's so didactic. It's so on the nose. It's literally a monologue to camera, and it might as well have included the lines, I'd like to thank the Academy. So Higgs, hit me up. Turn my own son against me. My own blood. God damn. Well, we don't see you standing in the end. I don't care what the VA say. You're shit from Shinola. There's fucking doctors in the world. Man, we didn't see Shit. You made me malignant. This fucking place, you. Bade me in that lymphoma, Agent Orange, herbicidal stew. Those army bastards, they scorched the earth with it, sprayed that shit in the air and the water. My bloodstream, my cells, my DNA, and my motherfucking soul. But I ain't dying from that shit. 
You will not kill Paul. You hear me? That's Delroy Lindo in Spike Lee's ponderous The Five Bloods. Now, I think Delroy Lindo's a really good actor. I'm more than happy if he gets a supporting actor Oscar nomination coming up. Uh, if he wins it, great. I mean, like, I like the guy. It would feel a little bit lifetime achievement for me if he gets it because this was the most interesting character in a film that didn't work for me. And in the end, the character didn't work for me. Um, I still think he's great in it. He commits like hell. The idea of a war vet, a African-American war vet who wears a fucking MAGA hat and is pro-Trump and is like, you know, for for business reasons or also this country left us behind reasons. That's fascinating. And the film kind of doesn't quite grasp that fully. Um, it just didn't really work for me. I know people like this movie. I didn't. Uh, the acting is strong across the board. Lindo is the standout. This scene is just, again, it's Shakespeare on the Heath. At that point, I was kind of lost as well. You know, I was as lost as he was in the jungle and I was just ready for it to be over. But again, you know, I think the nature of this award, it, like, it can be, it can have merit. It is a good performance, but it left me feeling absolutely nothing. Uh, Higgs, I know we're going to play yours in a second. I should say as a lead-in, because I cut the clip. We're going to play a long clip when it's your turn, but it kind of needs to be. But uh, any any thoughts on Big Delroy here? Yeah, like, as you said, uh, this is an award, isn't uh, an award where we're kind of like, you know, trying to, to denigrate people. Uh, I think Delroy Lindo's greatness. I actually, I like Oldman to an extent in Mank, but I just find his character not that interesting. But um, I do agree with you. Like, um, there's lots of elements about Lindo's uh, character in The Five Bloods that they're just not really explored. Like the MAGA hat, it kind of, it's an interesting idea, but it, it kind of just sees, seems like Spike Lee's kind of like being a bit of a troll and doesn't really kind of want to flesh it out. Um He's great in this scene, um, but as you said, it's it, it very much is, you know, for your consideration. <laughs> you know, it, it might as well flash up on screen. Um, but <laughs> uh, a kind of a, a slight return to form after um, after Black Landsman, which we both pretty much hated, and I haven't got around to Spike Lee's um, David Byrne concert. That's meant to be great, so um, maybe he's back. Um, but my, my clip, um, Fuck, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> here, here put, the we kettle, go. put the kettle on. Mr. Hayden, in spite of your actions during the convention, you are the one defendant who has shown during this trial respect for this court and for this country and remorse for those actions. I truly believe, and I mean this, I truly believe that one day you will be a very productive part of our system. I'd like you to make your statement brief and without political content of any kind. If you make your statement brief, if you make it respectful, if you make it remorseful and to the point, I will look favorably upon that when administering my sentence. Do you understand what I've just said? Mr. Hayden? Yes, sir. You'll look favorably in sentencing. Yes. If I make my statement respectful and remorseful. Yes. I'm sorry, Your Honor, what was the third one? Brief. Brief. As if I do these things, my government will look favorably on me. You understand? Yes. Please begin. 
Your Honor, since this trial began, 4,752 U.S. troops have been killed in Vietnam. And the following are their names. Private First Class Dennis Walter Kipp, 18 years old. Private Eric Allen Bosch, 21 years old. Mr. Kunstler. Lance Corporal Robert Earl Ellis, 19 years old. Mr. Kunstler. Lance Corporal he Anthony will Michael not Steen, read 5,000 names for First the record. Class Robert Ford, 21 years old. There will be order. Staff Sergeant David Cruz Chavez, 31 years old. Lance Mr. Corporal Kunstler. Douglas W. Jackson, 19 years there old. There will be order. Private First Class William Melvin Johnson, there will be 20 order. years old. There will be order! That's Corporal Robert Ryan 19 years old. Corporal Philip Lawrence Jewell, 20 years old. Sergeant Brian John Morris, 19 years old. Master Sergeant James Warren Finney. Just just goes on. <laughs> it could have gone on even further. Fucking hell. For anyone who didn't know, that that was uh, I mean, kind of a bit of a spoiler, but, you know, it, it was history. Um, that was the end of Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, I think in terms of, like, the giving the Oscar, like, I had Eddie Redmayne written down, but oh, really... it's Frank Langella, it's, like... No, it's it's Aaron Sorkin himself, like, you know... You know, when that that uh, Daniel Pemberton's uh, score is starting to like soar at the end and everyone's applauding, like Sorkin in his head is walking up and collecting an Oscar. <laughs> um, this this movie kind of allows him to kind of really, you know, be the worst of himself. Um, I know you, you could talk for days about the newsroom and I've only kind of like dipped into bits about it. But but I've understood that the thing that people kind of annoys people the most is his kind of like after the fact well this is how i would have reported on this moment in history and it's like you know the to, to, to borrow an american phrase the monday morning quarterback who kind of comes in and it's like oh well this is how you do it like captain hindsight this movie is is that all over um it's not actually entirely terrible like i mean aaron sorkin knows how to write a courtroom scene uh you know despite the clip that was played like it does kind of zip along and the you know the the animosity between frank langella and you know the rest of the cast particularly sasha baron cohen um is actually like you know very watchable but when you know sorkin has to go back and like film moments in history it just gets absolutely terrible and uh yeah i think the the, the clip at the end epitomizes it so i haven't seen this film but I can tell immediately from the script what it is <laughs> um, and just what is it about Aaron Sorkin when it's just like when it gets those courtroom scenes and he's just like he literally does write in an Oscar moment it's just like and um, we have to have the really big impactful music swell type thing um, I think I I I was talking about this earlier with you both about how like this year has been kind of weird for for film in general and I definitely feel like cinemas being closed has hurt um my watching of films and having a desire to watch them I did want to watch this pretty soon because it's tipped for a lot of Oscars so like I, d- I wasn't sure if we had gone into like had you discussed it in depth before but is it worth it it's horrendous. It's, it's oh, really? disgraceful. <laughs> but it is worth seeing because of how terrible it is. And I should say as well, like, I mean, in the audio there, you're not seeing all the people standing up. You're not seeing an astonishing moment when uh, 
rival prosecutor Joseph Gordon-Levitt stands up and his team are like, what are you doing? And he's like, respect for the fallen, sir. I'm showing respect. And I'm like, this film is a disgrace. But, you know, it's it has that car crash Sorkin thing that I do love. But it's just woeful. Um, yeah, agreed. To, 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 to move on, but just, just a, a kind of a thing that I, I noticed there, because, you know, this, this section was essentially, give me the Oscar. Uh, all three of these movies were Netflix movies. Um, which one do you think is most likely to actually do well at the Oscars? Uh, I think Mank probably will. I thought Mank, I think Trial of the Chicago 7 is going to actually be like some kind of weird outlier somehow. I think people are just going to be like, yeah, man, look at America. It's on fire, just like it was back then. And I don't know. I mean, it's hard to even know what the Oscars will even be this year. They keep saying they're going to have like a, a proper ceremony and it's like, how? But we'll move is on. <laughs> is it <laughs> April? On. Sorry, it's April is when they're... I think it's April. Yeah, yeah. So there's an even longer run in and it's like, okay, I mean, how will that even work? Um... Yeah, the Oscars don't do bad movies. Maybe they should. The Roger Ebert, I hated, hated, hated this movie Memorial Award, uh, for me this year, goes to The Devil All the Time, which I referenced earlier on. Um, I had a bunch, you know, of honorable mentions, including Trial of the Chicago 7. Like, I thought of stuff like The Gentleman, which is just Guy Ritchie nonsense. She Dies Tomorrow, which is one of the most annoying indie films I've ever seen. Uh, True History of the Kelly Gang didn't work, but I was like... I was like, I don't really have a film that I've outright despised. And then I watched The Devil All the Time, which, my God, what a waste. What a waste of talent. What a waste of time. I mean, this is a film with a cast that includes Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson, Bill Skarsgård, um, Jason Clark, Riley Keough, Mia Wasikowska, uh, Hayley Bennett. There's others I'm forgetting. Um, Sebastian Stan... And it's horrendous. Like, it's basically like this... I think it's based in a book, and it's basically like... like Essentially, it's like violence permeates different lives, and, you know, every character is gross. Every character is, is hateful and possibly a, a villain, and it moves at, like, a snail's pace. It's horrendous. It's, it, it's not even nice to look at. It has no point. It felt formless. It felt repugnant. And it's kind of one of those things where it's like Netflix just keeps pumping out movies, and sometimes I'm like... Yeah, I guess that's technically a movie, <laughs> but but like, what a waste of... F- two hours fucking 20. It's appalling. Nice poster. Well, that's about it. I will not be watching that for whatever that was. Literally based off your Robert Pattinson clip, I think I'm, <sighs> I think I'm okay. Rob. Um, so for my I Hated, Hated, Hated This Movie award, I have a clip. It's hunting us. No, it's hunting Danny. Why, Danny? Because that's what she fears. Come on. Help me. All right, one, two, three. Take Danny to a safe place, and I'll take care of this bear. Zoe, leave her! Leave her! What are you going to do? I'm going to play with them. Get her out of here. Are you crazy? That thing will kill you. He's right. It's magic. So am I. No. Holy shit! Is that is that from the movie? 
Is that the New Mutants? Yeah. <laughs> I cannot rag on this film enough. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's so shite. I really wanted to get a clip that had Maisie Williams' random Scottish accent in it. I heard it. Um, it didn't sound good. It's in there, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's like she's definitely doing it, but like it in no way comes across as natural or like her native accent there's also a really weird thing in it like i i'm not even going to go into too much what the storyline is it's just these these kids that end up in what they think is a hospital where they're being like kind of helped and rehabilitated then it turns out they're being like experimented on blah 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 x-men spinoff um and they each just have these like utterly ridiculous backstories that you neither care about nor believe like half the cast have ridiculous accents that you that aren't good either the most ridiculous lines and it was also the first film I've watched in a really really long time that casually uses the word bitch quite a lot to the point of discomfort because it's not being used in a way to make up a point about anyone's particular personality or anything that they do. It just serves to make you feel extremely uncomfortable and it's generally used by women towards other women. And the entire thing is awful. Yeah, I can't say much more. But I am glad I got that clip in there because that clip is particularly ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I won't be... Wa- I'm kind of curious to watch it just because it's such a... It's such a it is a failure of a movie. It's apparently like very bad and I, I believe you, but it's it's one of these films that basically kind of was made about like four years ago, maybe even five years ago. Like I think Macy Williams is like quite young in it compared to like, you know, how she would have looked at the end of Game of Thrones. And it was just one of these ones where the studio didn't know what to do with it and like they tested it and then they'd come back and they were like, No, let's make it more of a horror movie and then it was like Deadpool did well and it's like, Yeah, but what if they said bitch a lot? And it's like yeah, it kind of, I think it went for reshoots and then Disney bought Fox and it was just like Disney were like, well, what do you want us to do with this? And then they eventually were like, I guess we'll release it during a pandemic because <laughs> that's all it's worth. I um, think it's only fairly recently that they announced that like it most definitely was not getting a follow up. Yeah, think I think they're, they're, they're totally recent. done with it. Yeah, so I had a, I had a couple of contenders um, for for most hated Um I mentioned I mentioned it earlier. Um, I I was clearing out something on my phone my my uh, earlier, and I, I noticed today was a very special anniversary for us, Dave. Um, it's the it's the one year anniversary of of you, me, uh, Andrea Cleary, and my girlfriend going to see Tom Hooper's Cats. But did that in, not come in out in twenty nineteen? No. Are you sure? Oh, did it? Have I, I think it, have I, I messed think up? Did it come out? See, was it a Christmas present? I think it came out. In, I think it came out in late twenty nineteen over here, but we didn't get to see it until it was like because remember we had that week where. Hang on, if Go can solve this very quickly. But there was definitely like a there was definitely like a week where like it was down to like the smallest of screens. There was one that we almost went to where it, like you showed me the the kind of the seating map of this screen, and you're like, I don't even think this is a screen. This looks like a fucking <laughs> janitor's closet or something. But you know, it is such a horrendous film that I feel like you can have it. I'm not going to take. Oh it no, off my you. my my bad. I'm sorry. It was released in mid December, <laughs> so I I won't I won't I won't throw scorn at at cats. There's plenty. There's plenty of other things to complain about. Um, Jojo Rabbit. Um, Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit. I absolutely hated. Um. 
I've I've loved pretty much everything he's done so far, but this was uh, such an incredibly uh, self-satisfied, smug, um, you know, pound shop Wes Anderson knockoff. Well, it was just like, hey, you know, Nazis, but like some of them might have a heart. Um, a laughable performance, like across the board. Uh, the two kids in it are good. There's no, there's no knocking that. Um, is it? Um, I'm trying to think of her name. Who's in? Uh, Oh, Dave, the movie that you got a little... It's, uh, it's, it's Thomas Mac- and McKenzie. Thomas and McKenzie, yeah. So she, she yeah. pops up again in yeah, True history, history of the Sorry, Kelly Gang. Sorry, was going to say the, the, the movie that I got a little teary at, which is Leave No Trace, which she's excellent <laughs> in. And it is a very sad film. I should also know, she's by the great. Way, she's very she's good. She's excellent, yeah. She's good in True History of the Kelly Gang as well, which I mentioned, which is a film I didn't like. Clearly going to be a, a proper actress. Uh, fucking, I should mention, by the way, that a uh, friend of the show, aforementioned just now, Andrea Cleary, I'm pretty sure she gave Jojo Rabbit a full five stars on her her letterbox there the other day so i liked jojo rabbit i thought it was really sweet i got like i will never watch it (laughs) (laughs) because it doesn't appeal to me whatsoever um and i get i guess my most hate of the year it probably has to be capone just to have how like uh punishingly confrontational it was and um <laughs> you know I'm, I'm aware that they were trying to make a very ugly movie and i like plenty of ugly movies that have a you know a dark black heart but you know this thing was just um borderline unwatchable um it you know it, it's it's attempts at kind of like surrealism where like the kind of the worst college knockoffs of david lynch um Okay, yeah, well, just really terrible um, and and a wasted Kyle uh, McLaughlin performance as well. We'll stay we'll, we'll stay with you, Higgs, because you're in that mode uh, for the next award. The I just couldn't be bothered seeing this award, which is as it sounds, a film that maybe you thought about, but you're like, no, nah, I'm not going to watch it. Fuck it, no way, not for me. Um, well, there's there's a couple. Um, Doolittle, the uh, the the Robert Downey Jr. being like, what what do I do after playing you know Tony Stark for best part of a decade? And the answer is a uh, Doctor Doolittle movie, uh, written and directed by the writer of Syriana for some reason, who who suddenly <laughs> like I'm back guys, <laughs> and I'm making a Doolittle movie. Uh, no interest at all in it. Um, I think last year I was like I had no interest in the live action version of Aladdin or the Lion King, so. That rolls over to this year. Apologies to Mulan. And then there's just kind of like, you mentioned it earlier, it's just like Netflix, the kind of industrial pump that they have over like something just to <laughs> plant on your screen every every week. So um, Project Power, is that you've seen? I don't even think it's a thing. It just looks like... I've seen it, yeah. yeah. I'll, talk about it. I'll talk about it later, I think. Um, uh, it's so bad. Hillbilly Elegy, yeah, you can keep that. Um <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, like I Sonic the Hedgehog that was Netflix, but yeah, what? <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> Jesus, Norma, what about you? Um, so actually, similarly, I had a couple of different people talk about the Hillbilly Elegy, and I watched a, like a little clip. I think I watched like half the trailer, and I just was not fucked I don't I don't know what it is it's like it's a stranger word to talk about in a way because you're just explaining how you couldn't have been arsed to do something <laughs> but the main one I have and I was going to throw in a clip to see if I could try and throw Dave off the scent as to what this one would be but then we were going to be renaming clips so I'm just going to say it. it's the king of Staten Island 
Oh fuck! Okay. Oh my god! Wow! Just oh wow! I'm gonna talk fucked. into it. I'm gonna I know, talk into it <laughs> because you talked about it so much, and I just I don't know what it was. I, I think like sometimes I think it was like the poster of yeah, just I can like see that. the topless Pete Davidson. Is he on top of a car? Yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah, and I just remember looking at him and being like, you know what? Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I, listen, I understand that. I um, I, I was so, right there with you, and also yeah. it's two hours and twenty minutes as well. So I just like, I don't think it'll ever happen. Okay, well, we're going to talk more about that film some other time. Some other time, I don't know. But 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 on this award, the I couldn't be bothered seeing it. I also have a bit of a laundry list as well, uh, in terms of like you know, also Rans like almost made it, almost didn't make it. I'll never watch these. Downhill, Vivarium, Capone, Mulan, On the Rocks, The Witches, Hillbilly, Hillbilly Elegy, Songbird, Enola Holmes, Rebecca. But your real winner of a film that I was like, you know, I made a decision. I was like. This is everywhere for like approximately a week or less, especially the fucking poster was unavoidable on my letterboxed homepage. It's just always there. Everyone's talking about it for a weekend. And I was like, you know what? I never want to see Borat subsequent movie film and I never will. Fuck off. This is so played out. I saw Borat when it came out in the cinema and I was in a cinema and I was laughing out loud. The whole cinema was in hysterics. I feel like it's one of those kind of weird moments where I'm like, I've never watched it again because I know it won't be funny the second time. And I don't, like, yeah, no, not for me. You saw it, Higgs, didn't you? Yeah, I saw it. Like, it's enjoyable. It was actually, weirdly, one of the, the only movies that was released this year that I watched at home that I was like, I wish I had seen this in the cinema because, you know, I remember going to see Borat in the cinema, which again, like, you're right, I don't think I've rewatched it, but it was definitely one of, like, the great movie going experiences I had just in terms of like you get a packed house and everyone's laughing and it becomes infectious. Like I think one of the the most enjoyable cinema experiences I ever had was like the first Jackass movie, just because everyone was in a good mood and you know, you came out like with a pain in your side because you've been laughing. Anchorman as well. Same thing. I was just like people in the audience fucking losing their shit. I was like, where am I America? This is insane. Like, yeah, so, so Borat obviously loses a lot just watching it at home. Um, I definitely laughed quite a bit, not as much as I think I would have. Um, yeah, I don't think you've you've missed much. I mean, you've probably kind of, you know, digested most of it by osmosis by being on Twitter. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Norma, we'll go to you for, to start off the Nobody Actually Needed This Film Award, which sounds the same as the last one, but it's actually slightly different, I guess. This is what you're making the case for pure nihilism, I guess, you know? Yeah, so I kind of interpreted it it as a film that I'd watched, but I just didn't think was necessary. I think that's right. That that's right? fair. You've yeah. nailed it. Um, <laughs> so my choice is On the Rocks, Sofia Coppola. Never know if I'm saying that right. Coppola? Uh, Coppola? 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 It's okay. I've said it both ways now, so take what you like. Um, I watched this at home and I was... Like it got incredible reviews and like there's a lot of um, suggestion that Bill Murray could be up for a Best Actor nomination at the Oscars. And I was just so bored off my ass. I like I and I like Sofia Coppola. Like I I like Rashida Jones. <laughs> like I just I just didn't get it. It was just a film about this woman who thinks her husband is cheating. So she sort of uh, enlists her dad, who is a notorious cheater playboy, um, to help her work out if he is. And I was just like, 
why would you even, I just don't understand why you'd bother making a film about that subject matter to begin with. Um, it just, it was such, at such a weird time and such a weird year. It was, it just felt almost to the point where I was just like, I, like, is this what Sofia Coppola is sitting at home being like writing for the past couple of years? I just didn't get it. It was, and people loved it so much. I just thought it was really at a place at a time. I found it boring. I think I tuned out halfway through went looking at my phone and I just it's just not wasn't didn't get anything out of it didn't engross me at all I'm uh that didn't pop up on your I couldn't be bothered seeing this list Dave I, I thought it would um it did. I actually oh it did it sorry you, yeah. you mean you were listing off quite a couple of pictures <laughs> bed through uh, it you know <laughs> Um, as if any, yeah. can I just say, as if any of us were going to watch Doolittle. So, like, surely that's <laughs> a fucking write off. It had some, this film is so bad you won't believe it cachet, I suppose. But apart from that, yeah, there's no reason to go fucking near it. Unless you want to see John Cena voice a polar bear or something, and I know I do. Uh, Higgs, <laughs> what, what is your, what is your, uh, no one needed this award? Yeah, so I've got two. My number two is, uh, I think I talked about it before Christmas, uh, Fat Man, Mel Gibson as Santa Claus being hunted by Walton Goggins. Just neither funny nor exciting action movie, kind of gross. Uh, didn't really get me in the in the Christmas spirit. But the one that really kind of stuck out for me is Bloodshot, which is, you know, I'm pretty sure Vin Diesel's got a quite a nice retirement package coming after, you know, finishing off the Fast and the Furious franchise and guardians of the galaxy and he could probably dust off triple x if he needed to but no he needs another he needs another franchise to (laughs) to keep him going another comic book franchise so um this is like a really really cheap um you know superhero movie i'm not 100 percent sure i think it's like a one of the it's not a marvel it's not a dc it's one kind of one of the theater lower tier uh, comic book producers he plays like this army guy who kind of gets killed and then they're like, we can bring him back, but he'll be like slightly different. Um, and he joins this team. It's just like such a bland, ugly meh of a movie. Um, you know, one of my, I think I always complain about when movies like shoot in places that clearly aren't where they're shooting. And like, there's a couple of scenes in this like set in London and they shot it in Bulgaria. And, you know, you're not fooling anyone um you're not stanley kubrick you can't you know recreate an entire city um yeah just terrible uh cgi is like video game cutscene. um guy pierce how, i was about to say how how is guy pierce as g i wonder if he's the villain <sighs> yeah it's just, like just disappointing you know i kind of like i want the best for guy pierce i've kind of you know loved well, we him to confidential and he'll occasionally like pop up and be really good and then like he's he's a scoundrel for grabbing a check, um, <laughs> as is like Toby Kebbell, another actor who I really really like as well, and he just kind of, you know, strolls in and out of this, you know, uh, cartoon villain. Uh, yeah, really really terrible. Don't ever want to see a sequel. 
Okay, for me, uh, nobody actually knew this film more. I was going to say Death to 2020, but because I haven't seen it, and Norma has set the parameters that you should have seen the film, I will instead say the aforementioned Project Power, which stars Jamie Foxx and Jess Gordon-Levitt, and very briefly, Machine Gun Kelly, who, by the way, is not a bad actor, I must say. He's actually not a bad actor. Um, fucking Netflix crap just appears on a Friday. Just, like, literally just appears in your fucking living room on a Friday, and is like, time to sit down for two hours and watch this shit action film that is trying to say something about things and doesn't and it really was like the most homogenous like the most you know yeah i guess this technically qualifies as a movie movie it was just very much like who's this for like this is so nothing i got fucking four stars in the irish times i don't know what donald clark is on about but like it's very much like just nothing like just crap um jessica gordon levitt sucks you know he's not a leading man uh i don't know what to say about it it's about like I can't even remember. It's about, like, superpowers or something, and it's just really boring and grey and cheap and just go away. Like, fuck off. Uh, biggest disappointments. Higgs, what have you got? Um, You mentioned She Dies Tomorrow earlier. Um, I'll agree. I don't think I have, like, the same disdain that you have for it, but I was actually kind of looking forward to it quite a bit because uh, I think Amy Samitz is, like, a very good director and like i loved what she did with the the girlfriend experience which was like a bad soderbergh uh, movie that she turned into like a really interesting compelling tv show with uh riley keogh on the lead um it was clearly like a very personal movie for her i think she like entirely like self-financed it herself like basically like made pet cemetery so she could use that paycheck to make this um, it kind of has a little bit of like, you know, I think you, you said about not wanting to see Songbird and I don't know if we'll mention Host later. Like in terms of like a COVID movie, I don't think I ever want to see one. But this one kind of just by sheer look was kind of like, oh, this could be kind of have overlaps with a kind of like a larger pandemic that's happening. That's not explicitly, you know, you know, um, COVID, but, you know, it's something else that's happening and it's contagious and getting around to people. Yeah, it's just like it's so meandering. Um all the kind of worst impulses of an indie film, as you said, they're all on display here. Um, but the biggest disappointments, I think maybe you'll have this because I was a big fan. Well, not a big fan, but certainly the first movie was a very, very good comic book movie. Um, released on Christmas Day, Wonder Woman 1984. Um, this is a spectacular flop of a film um, from its, like, you know insanely long runtime to um its script that just doesn't know whether it wants to be like you know like a like a comedy and then it like tries to get self-serious it's got like jaw-dropping politics in it um and like cgi at the end of the movie that like they would have rejected in the scorpion king um (laughs) it's yeah again like um i think patty jenkins did a really good job with the first one it's like it's a lot of fun um you know it's got a great um you know a great duo between chris pine and uh gal gadot they try and bring it back this time it doesn't work there's no spark um i don't know why this movie is set in the 80s um you know when i first when i first saw it i was like oh really because it's just you know i get like you know ptsd of like stranger things and that just being a thing it's like oh this movie's going to be riddled with 80s needle drops um it doesn't even embrace that it doesn't really kind of go into like reagan politics um 
there's some really clunky like Trump um isms in like Pedro Pascal's character. Just an absolute mess of a movie. Yeah, it's it's an it's a shocking film. Like the pacing is as leisurely as around a golf. It takes about an hour for anything to happen, and even then, there's two opening sequences that Patty Jenkins apparently fought for, and the studio were like, "No, we need to lose one of these." And she was like, "No," and I was like, "Okay." Gal Gadot, re, re, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like regresses as an actor. She's not a great one. She's a good movie star, but like can act her way out of a fucking paper bag. Chris Pine's back here for no reason because hey, it's Chris Pine. Um. And his actual function in the story is really problematic and weird. Uh, Pedro Pascal isn't very good in a Kristen Wiig. It's nothing to do. It looks so cheap and so, like, awful. I can't get over it. The story is all over the place. I want to read, like, a proper oral history on what went wrong because it's so shockingly all over the place. But it doesn't matter because they're going to do a third one. Um, You mentioned needle drops there. There are none, which is shocking because the trailer comes out and it has Blue Monday in it. And again, I feared the worst. But there's not a single 80s pop song in here. There's just a shit Hans Zimmer score. Now, I'm glad you brought this up, though, because I, I thought it would come up at some point. And I've taken the liberty of preparing a few clips here, which I'm going to crowbar the fuck in. So, Michael Pope of La Galaxy fame, friend of the show, good friend of mine, uh, also does film reviews for, like, RTE Arena, um, and... He saw this. He saw this ahead of time. He he got like the screener or whatever one time only link that the studio sent out to critics. And on the day that he was watching it from the comfort of his home, I believe, I guess he paused the film at one stage and he sent me a WhatsApp voice note that goes a bit like this. Dave, you're not going to believe. You're not going to believe. Sit. You're not going to believe the music cue that just dropped in this fucking movie. You're not, it's nothing I tell you can prepare you for this. We're going to be talking about this for years, possibly, possibly decades. We're going to be processing this until the next pandemic. Right. So, uh, and I was like, okay, he was dying to tell me what it was. He was like, can you please somehow see this before lockdown? We need to talk about this. And I was bracing myself for the entire film being like, Okay, what kind of what song is it going to be? And I was like, is it going to be like fucking Fairy Tale in New York or something insane? But then you're watching the film and there's no songs, so I was like, well then it's got to be like score, right? But the score is very generic. What could it possibly be? And so um, I'm watching this film, and I sent Mick back a voice note of my own when it happened. Now I want you to brace yourself, listener. I might be shouting a bit in this one, but this was my real time reaction to this moment that I've been waiting for for a few weeks. No fucking way! No, 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 no! You haven't fucking. Are, are you joking? I cannot believe what I'm seeing right now! <laughs> Fuck off! So there's me, you know, losing my mind. And why? You could probably hear in the background there, but Higgs, can you please reveal the piece of music that was actually used in the film during a big climactic sequence?
So yeah, that's uh, John Murphy. That song is Adagio in D minor. Uh, people who listen to the show should probably know that I'm a huge fan of the film Sunshine, Danny Boyle's Sunshine from 2007, in which that piece of music is used in an incredibly artful and impactful way. Now, it has been used elsewhere. It has been used everywhere from, like, I believe fucking football teams have walked out for the... FA Cup final and it's used in Kick-Ass which really upset me because you see people on Twitter being like oh my god they used the music from Kick-Ass and I'm like no it's not from that at all you fucking mutants but essentially right it is overplayed it is overused and that's the point the point is 13 years on in fucking Wonder Woman 1984 they throw it out in a scene where she like flies into the air and I was just my jaw was through the floor I was like they couldn't possibly this is so cliche. This is so played out. This feels so personally specific just to annoy me. And I was like, what? And on top of everything else, there's like a thing I saw because like on Christmas Day, I think when it came out or the day after, they did this like live tweet thing because obviously in America, it's on HBO Max and that's where it's been launched. And so Patty Jenkins and members of the cast did like a live tweet thing for people. And that's a cool thing to do if you're into it. But at one stage, somebody references a different piece of score music in the film which was either used in a previous Wonder Woman or was used somewhere else. And they're like, oh my God, I can't believe that you used this again. This is incredible. It was such an emotional sequence. I loved it. And Patty Jenkins quote tweeted this person and said, well, you know, I, we, we used it as temp. We put it in there as a temp thing for, you know, just as we were putting the film together. And then Hans said, you know, this is great. Why don't we just use this? And I was like, that had to be what happened here with this as well. They must have thrown it in as temp. And then they were like, no, that's great. Just fucking leave it. And again, it's just yet another aspect of this film. This feels so sellotaped together. And yeah, I know not even Higgs is probably like as apoplectic as I was about Adagio showing up. But I was like, are you joking? And again, two hours and ten minutes into this film that I'm like falling through the quicksand of my couch trying to get away from. And then that happens. And I was like, good night, movie. Rant. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I have nothing to add because I'm never going to watch it and I don't care. It's two and a half hours long. I can't get over it. Like, it's just... I've seen my... I've seen enough bad reviews at this point to, uh, yeah, not waste my life <laughs> watching bad films. How about we move on to some more positive things? Well, hey, okay. we haven't done... Oh, our, hey. we, we haven't done... Norma hasn't done her disappointment and neither oh, have I. I'm sorry. We just stole yours there for me to <laughs> rant Sorry, you were talking for so long, I just assumed you'd done yours. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was fairly extensive. Norma, Norma. Okay, I'll keep, it, I'll, keep it, I'll keep it fast. Keep Apart it from being friends with me. <laughs> okay. Um, so I actually think I had, talked, I had talked about this previously and had kind of vaguely hinted at it um so kajillionaire by miranda july is the biggest disappointment for me i actually i'd previously said that i thought this was her debut feature it is not it is her third feature film which means there's no excuse um, for it being so long and so dragged out um she's a really really great writer and i was so hyped for this film and i was just i was so ready to give it everything i had and it really um yeah it just kind of like about 3 quarters of the way through drops off a cliff and you just have characters that you that are incredibly annoying and boring and i was just yeah just i guess genuinely very disappointed because miranda july writes really interesting fascinating characters in her books and now, knowing that she's got two other feature films, I don't know that it's kind of because it did disappoint me so much. I don't know that it's going to, um, I don't feel 
the want to watch her other feature films. Maybe I will at some point. I did some of her shorts and they seem good, but um, but yeah, I wasn't wasn't delighted with that, even though I was really really excited to see it. And then kind of a close runner up was Rebecca, um, which I'd also previously talked about as well. I haven't seen the original, and when I saw that they were going to be doing it, I saw the cast. And that it was Ben Wheatley, I was really excited. And I was just like, like, Army Hammer is a really good actor. Lily James is quite good as well, makes interesting choices. Um, and yeah, it was a really terrible, awful, boring, silly film in a way. It like it looked nice for what it was worth, but it has no heart, no um, nothing in it to give. I uh, I struggled with this one because I feel like everything <coughs> kind of met my expectations for the most part. But I guess if I, I guess like the idea of like you know you know like big blockbuster cinema or whatever, like uh, I guess it's got to be this. Please play my clip, David Higgins. It seems you need an introduction to a prominent Mumbai local on short notice. I'm Neil. I need an audience with Sanjay Singh. That's not possible. Ten minutes, tops. Time isn't the problem. It's getting out alive is the problem. Would you take a child hostage? A woman? If I had to. I'm not looking to make much noise here. Yes. Vodka tonic and a diet coke. You never drink on the job. You're well informed. Uh, pays to be in our profession. Well, I prefer soda water. No, you don't. How's your parachuting? I broke an ankle during basic training. Singh's house isn't tall enough to parachute off of. It's bungee jumpable. I don't think bungee jumpable is a word. It may not be a word, but it may be your only way out of that place. Or into it, for that matter. I'm the protagonist. Yeah, that's Neil, Robert Pattinson there, and the protagonist, John David Washington, having their meet-cute in Tenet. Uh, Not much more to say, really, about it, apart from it just didn't work for me. I will say, Higgs, uh, a strange, creeping desire to re-watch a film while I was watching it in the cinema and I was, like, thinking aloud, I'll never watch this again as long as I live. I kind of want to go back to it, even though I know it's not going to work, and the reason I say this is because I know that you just tried to, right? Yeah, I, I, I popped it on after after I kind of got a digital release. And yeah, I made it about, I think I didn't make it to the, the, the last big scene. Um, again, I was like, I, I think it, the reason I, I went back to it and, uh, you know, it's something that we'll touch on later is that I didn't like Interstellar when I first saw it. And then I kind of went back to it and I keep going back to it. And it was like the score that brought me back to it originally. And it was kind of the score for Tenet that kind of was like, oh, well, was that scene actually kind of good? Because like the opening scene, I remember actually enjoying a bit in the cinema. And I don't know if it was just that like, I haven't been in a cinema in six months and I'm watching a big action movie with like a really loud banging score. You're, uh, you're Tom Cruise, you know, you're like, I went to the film and I watched it big, and it was unbelievable. Big, yeah, big, big movie, big screen. I loved it. Yeah, <laughs> so I was expecting that. Um, so yeah, uh, rewatch. Yeah, I just, I, I kind of had to turn it off. I just kind of found it like, yeah, kind of boring and 
the one thing you can normally rely on uh, with Nolan is like really good like practical effects and there are practical effects in this like you know if you, if you met him in the street he'd tell you that he bought a Boeing 747 just so he could really crash it um it doesn't make the scene any more compelling you know cool that's it's it's, it's a nice story um but you know it, it it doesn't add to the scene um the whole inversion you know i mean everyone else has said it like i mean it it hasn't been taught since uh, Spike Jones did it with the far side. So, you know, that was 30 years ago. Um, it's not necessarily a cool thing now. Um, yeah, it just it doesn't really work. Um, don't know really what else to say about tennis. Norma, do you think you'll ever watch tennis again or are you done? Are you one and done? Um, I, don't, I don't know. I probably won't bother. I do, like a friend of mine went to see it and he had kind of a similar reaction where a, a day or two after he saw it, he was kind of like, oh, like, I do kind of want to watch it again. And he got down a bit of a rabbit, uh, sorry, a Reddit rabbit hole, sort of like th- like people having theories about it and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, maybe I should watch it again. And then he watched it again. And he was like, you know, it's like the same I felt the first time around. He was just like, I did not learn anything new. Nothing else came of it, out of it. Um, Yeah, it's just a bit too long and too complicated to throw on at home as a easy watch if you're just like, I need a bit of fun. So Uh, let's stay with you, Norma, for pleasant surprises. What did you have? So I have two of, I've got two for like the top thing for pleasant surprises. So I had previously talked about waves. Um, pleasant surprise, I guess, because it came out in the cinema and for whatever reason, I just didn't feel compelled to go see it. And then the run of it actually ended. And then I was at home one night um and I saw a girl I know on Instagram had put it up on her stories. I was like, yeah, all right, fuck it. I'll give it a watch. And it was really, really gorgeous. I really, really enjoyed it. And I kind of expected to just throw it on and have a kind of a more past the time type thing. And I just got really invested in the story. It's beautifully shot, beautifully acted. The music in it is stunning. It looks absolutely gorgeous. Um, it's structured kind of it has an unusual structure to it that a lot of I know a lot of people were kind of split on but I really liked it and I enjoyed it um and as the award states it was a pleasant surprise of a film to me um and then the second one there is actually something I got to see in the cinema and I was absolutely delighted I got to see it in the cinema it's Wolfwalkers so it's from Cartoon Saloon and it is absolutely beautiful the animation was stunning. The story is really gorgeous, really compelling, just very sweet. Um, the voice acting is fantastic in it. Like Tommy Tiernan has a little bit in it. It's really, he's really great. Sean Bean is in it for quite a bit of it. Um, just if anyone is thinking of watching it, I think it is up on Volta, Support Irish Film. Um, and it's just like a cartoon saloon of really... Um, nailed their ethos and look and everything that they put into their films and I knew I'd probably like I went in with two of my friends as like oh yes we're just back in the cinema this is class so I was also in a very good mood going in but it just made me feel even better it made my entire day it was absolutely gorgeous and I just I kind of thought it would just be a nice sweet film but it definitely I didn't expect to like it as much as I did I cried at the end of it so there you go 
No, you did a real Dave Higgins on it. What about you? Big old crack. Um, I've got a couple for this category. Uh, first one is The Invisible Woman, uh, which is Lee Wan Al, who'd made Upgrade and um, had kind of, I think he wrote the Saw movies. And Wait, is it called The Invisible Woman or is it The Invisible Man? But oh, sorry, The Invisible Man, Boston. sorry. Yeah. Yeah, my, my apologies. Um, well, I guess it could be called The Invisible Woman. <laughs> sorry, be. The Invisible Man is Elizabeth Moss? Elizabeth yeah. Moss, yes. yes. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought it was just like a, a really good spin on it. Um you know, I'm very glad that uh, Universal didn't continue with their, uh, you know, their their cinematic universe of, you know, their big monsters that they tried to start with the mummy, um, you know, Tom Cruise in the mummy. There's like a very famous photo of, uh, is it Tom Cruise, Russell Crowe, Johnny Depp was supposed to be the Invisible Man, and I believe... Um, Javier Bardem is the was, fourth was, person. Yeah. And also, none of them was, were none of them, and Sofia Patel is in there as well. Uh, but also, none of them were in the same room. That's that's a completely like later. Oh, really? Put together. Yeah, it looks like they're they're all there in in, in one cool room, but they're not. Uh, and also, put some fucking respect on the name, Dave. It's called the Dark Universe, and it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> if there's still a Twitter account. It'll yep. happen. Yeah, so anyway, uh, this movie, yeah, just like a really interesting spin on it. Um, I think Lee Winnell, like works really well in kind of like kind of smallish budget genre movies. Um, second one was, uh, you know, quite a surprise, um, A Hidden Life, which is uh, the new Terrence Malick movie. Um, so, you know, I think he's a pretty Marmite director for a lot of people. Um he kind of I probably normally kind of lean on the not really a fan of him like I love uh, Days of Heaven but like since then I I very much be in the camp of people who were just like he just kind of makes very beautiful looking meandering movies and there's always someone you know spinning in a cornfield and uh, this movie has a lot of cornfields because it's about a a an Austrian farmer who um basically refuses to um you know, to join the Nazis uh, in World War II. Um, it stars August Deal, who you probably would recognize from the uh, the bar scene in Inglorious Bastards. It's very long, it's about three hours. It's just like a very, very um, beautiful movie, but unlike kind of some other Malik movies, like it has the story to sustain it. And yeah, it was just like, completely compelled by it um deal is absolutely amazing in it it's kind of got you know some good kind of cameos where it's just like someone will pop up for like one scene and they're gone so matthias schoenart's in it um it was shot so long ago that actors who have now passed like michael nyquist who died a couple of years ago and bruno gantz uh, it's their last movie and franz rogowski from victoria uh, is in it as well he's really good but my number one, um, and we were talking about kind of like movies that just plonk on Netflix um, and they're normally terrible. This was one that was really good. It was The Old Guard. Um, so this is Gina Prince, uh, Bythewood's adaptation of a comic book. Again, kind of like it, it potentially could have gone really, really wrong. Um, but this is like very, very expertly made, um, you know, all the action in it is really coherent, uh, great cast. It's got like great diversity in it without being like incredibly self-congratulatory like Marvel would do if they did something like this. Um, just like a really entertaining movie. Um, and, you know, I think we've talked before about it having a wonderful corpse kill. Uh, happily see a sequel <laughs> to this. So, yeah, that, that was it for me. 
I also have a Formula One esque podium finish, and I'll, I'll blast through it. In third place, it's Bill and Ted Face the Music, Norma Howard's favorite film of the year. Uh, in second place, on my pleasant surprises, Bad Boys for Life, uh, which was <laughs> I was waiting for someone to talk about <laughs> Bad Boys. <laughs> which, uh, to be fair, I feel like it's going to crop up again. Yeah, for it's a, yeah actually, in a it's, different it's category, in another category. But we'll see. But ultimately, uh, yeah, it better than it had any right to be. I mean, Jesus Christ, coming back to a franchise that is like. You know, it was good, I suppose. I actually rewatched the first one there over Christmas and it very like enjoyable. Enjoyable 90s kind of, you know, it was what it was kind of movie with some good moments. Uh, the sequel is horrific in all considerable aspects and that was 2004, so they're talking about Bad Boys 3 forever. It was like Joe Carnahan was supposed to make it and then I was like, this is never going to happen. Why would it? And then it finally does and you kind of go along for it out of a morbid curiosity thing as myself, Higgs, and the aforementioned Mick Pope did in a cinema in January back when we were like, what a year it's going to be, guys, 2020. And it was like, we were like, wow, this is like surprisingly coherent and well-made and it also works in a weird emotional way. I was like, I don't know. It, it just, it, it was good popcorn fodder and also kind of worked in terms of the characters growing up a bit. And yeah, better than it had any right to be. But that's my number two. For my number one, Dave Higgins, can you please play a clip that I have pre-prepared? Thank you. Are you okay? Uncle, yeah. What, what do you mean? Yeah. I'm... You gonna be okay without me here? You don't think I could survive here without you? Okay, just don't be a dick, okay? Like, be nice to mom, okay? Don't give her a hard time. She deserves a break. I always give her a, a break. When's when am I gonna get my break? Like, what are you talking about? All anyone ever does is worry about you. I was ignored my entire childhood because of you. Oh yeah, I forgot that my childhood was so dandy. Okay, you don't get to act crazy your whole life just because dad died. Okay, at least you got to know him. Well, you're lucky you didn't get to know him. Okay, because that's why you're almost normal. If you got to know him, you would have known that he was like the fucking coolest guy ever, and. That would have ruined the rest of your life. Okay, like, but what are you going to do? Are you going to get a job or are you going to leave the house? I don't know. I, I, I'm going to open that tattoo restaurant. No, like, for real. I am being real. It's a great, it's never been done before. I looked it up. I Googled it. It's never been done. Not even as a joke. Because no one wants to go to a restaurant and watch people get tattooed while they eat. It's gross. It's the best idea ever. Ruby Tattoos Days, where everyone's welcome. Chicken and tattoos. That's right, it's Pete Davidson in The King of Staten Island. <laughs> so essentially, um, I, this was came out during a period where you're just starved for new films. I remember watching The Five Bloods the day before and it was like two and a half hours. King of Staten Island, two and a half hours. And I was like, I don't love Pete Davidson. I think he has charisma. I think he can be funny. Um, but I'm not like worshipping at the altar of him or anything and I can completely appreciate why people would be turned off by the guy. Uh, it's also a Judd Apatow film, which I don't really enjoy his work. So I was like, Ugh. and then I was like, fine, I guess I'll watch it. And it just won me over. The more it went on, the more it won me over. Um, I thought it was actually very sweet in the end of it. I thought it was actually like quite emotional, done quite well. It is semi-autobiographical. Uh, he plays a character called Scott, who's like a, as you can tell from that clip there with his sister. Uh, he's a layabout, you know. He's a arrested development guy in his mid-twenties. He needs to grow up and get a job and, you know, stop just fucking doing nothing. So it's it's that classic loser tries to shake off being that way story and also does feel for sure like a vehicle to kind of further Pete Davidson as a thing. But I don't know. I mean, like, I just thought it had a heart. I thought it really, really did. It's cliched, but it spoke to me sometimes and it kind of worked even in terms of a, like a at-home pandemic watch. Uh, and I'm going to rewatch it soon. Like for January, I'm doing like a new movies only thing or rather films I've never seen before. But 
I am kind of itching to go back to it. It's not a classic by any stretch of the imagination, but I just thought it, its heart was in the right place. So yeah, Norma, I would recommend you to watch The King of Staten Island. <laughs> just couldn't be fucked. <laughs> wow, even after that ringing maybe, endorsement. Maybe he puts a shirt on. I don't know. Yeah, he puts a shirt on every now and then. Um, but it's good. It's got good performance. It's got heart. Uh, best score, Higgs. I feel like we're picking the same thing here, aren't we? We have to be. Surely we are. There's no way we're I th- not. I think we are. I would like... Uh, all three I'm of like, us? Are we all picking the same thing? think just... I don't know. I think Higgs I'm, and I are definitely picking the same thing. Um, but, you know, go on. Go uh, ahead there, sir. Can I... Well, I have... I, I have three. So I'm going to play three. I think our one is probably the same. But I'll... I'm going to play all of them because, you know, we're technically a music podcast also. So uh, that was Mark Corvin's uh, work in Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse. Um, yeah, just a very, very ominous, moody score um, that, you know, that, that score for the most part kind of gets uh, accentuated by this just like foghorn, like blasting off every every 30 seconds. Um, it just sets the tone of the movie absolutely immediately. Um, it's not necessarily a score I'm going to put on around the house, but in terms of like getting you where you need to be um i think it's fantastic um he he created it with like basically this weird instrument that he had built for himself that he calls an apprehension engine which is uh it kind of looks like a harmonium but it has like two guitar necks on it hurdy-gurdy and like rulers that he plays with a bow and it's like all those kind of like weird ominous tones coming from it um yeah i think it's it's great so uh that was my number three my number Two is... That was one of the more peaceful moments of the uh, the one of Tricks Point Never score for Uncle Gems. Um, I love that piece of music. It just kind of like it's such a, like a nice way. Like it opens the movie and kind of like just like brings you in as you kind of like go through a diamond. Like this, you know, the music itself sounds polychromatic, and you know you're going through all these colors, and then you know you eventually end up in a colonoscopy. But that's you know beside the point. But yeah, uh, the entire score is really good. Uh, I went for like the, the non kind of anxiety uh, drivers that kind of like come later in the movie. But um, yeah, I think uh, Daniel Lopatin's work is fantastic in it. Um, I could I could play my number one. Do, does Norma, do you want to go first? Or do you, do you think that we might all have 
The same one. No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we all have the same one, but I can go if you think your number one is the same as Dave's and then you can do, I don't know, like a a joint. Yeah, it's definitely the same as mine. Like, there's no way it isn't, so. Okay, well... I'll play my number one, but like Dave, let's just make a pact that when all this is over, me and you will enjoy a rainy night in Talon together. Ludwig Orenson's uh, tennis score, a, a a score crying out for a better movie. Um, Absolutely, yeah, I think so. I mean, look, the best thing I can say about it is that not only does it work in the context of the film, like if, if anything good or exciting is happening in the film, it's usually because of the score. And also, I think it works independently of the film as well. It was something I very much enjoyed kind of slipping into by itself. And I, uh, yeah, like that's probably probably the driving force why I want to rewatch the film. But uh, yeah, fair play, Ludwig Jodensen. I uh, don't know how to do the pronunciation, but I just like my own. So, Norma, <laughs> uh, what do you have for your best score of the year? Um, so I kind of a top three as well. Um, sorry, I'm just checking here. So number three. I had Waves, so the soundtrack for Waves is very good, but the score is actually is really, really gorgeous as well. So I'm pretty sure it's Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. The absolute boys. <laughs> the boys. Um, who also did the some of the music for Soul, which I watched last night. So And between that and Mank, they must be just like rolling these out. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really, really interesting score compared to the soundtrack. If you listen to it individually, it almost kind of sounds like horror movie-esque type score work, even though the film itself isn't really like that. Um, it's just really interesting. It keeps the movie going. It gives it good pace for a film that is actually quite long and a little bit chunky in certain sections. So I really, really enjoyed it. My number two is Tenet. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, which brings me up to my number one is Uncut Gems. <laughs> Incredible. It was it was a, literally a moment of like, which one, which one, which one, which one will I go for? And I went for Uncut Gems. Because I also just, I really enjoyed the film and I felt the score is so unique and so singular compared to other things I guess I've heard, which sounds like a bit of a crazy thing to say because obviously films are all different from each other. But like Higgs said, it sounds like you're just moving through a gem and then there's just like, it really ups itself as a score as well. Like you have to be on a certain level to be operating in a Safdie Brothers film. 
and the score work is up there completely. There's moments where it kind of sounds like video game-esque. So it's like as uh, Adam Sandler's character, like, I don't know, does another terrible thing, you like level up onto the next level of stress and the the score work really takes you up. It's absolutely gorgeous. And again, just like a, a very weird thing to listen to um, if you just turn it on on Spotify. But, um, but I really enjoyed it. I think it's, Absolutely gorgeous. Um, Slight honourable mention to a score for a film I haven't seen. (laughs) So uh, the score work for Calm With Horses, which is a film that I actually, I I am meaning to watch. Um, Dahi, friend of the podcast, watched it. And I think it's, I can't remember his name. He's from Folk Buttons. Does he go by Blank Mass? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's a really good score. Um... He was like, the scorework for that is absolutely amazing. He he loved it. And I listened to a few bits and it sounds really, really good. So maybe upon watching the film, I will also really, really like the scorework. Uh, we'll move on to Best Needle Drop, which is the best use of a song in a film, of course. And uh, lots of parallels happening. Dave Higgins wants to go first here, I think. <laughs> well, I, I want to go first because we're all going to do our favorite needle drop. But I also have a worse needle drop. And I, I kind of want, I want to, I want to show, you know, a, a good needle drop can be absolutely exquisite, but sometimes, uh, you know, a bad one, kind of not, not dissimilar to kind of the use of uh, Adagio in D minor in Wonder Woman 1984, where your, your, your mouth just hits the floor. I think we had that moment last year, like the, the very famous Gary Glitter drop in, in Joker. Um, there's one this year that I think beats it because it has cast participation um so this is from um uh what would you know another netflix movie uh george clooney's the midnight sky uh was released just before christmas like a very big budget movie that he uh, directed and stars in he's basically the last man on earth um something has happened on earth it does it's not really specified it's it's radiation everywhere and he's basically alone in an outpost in uh, antarctica or i believe alaska somewhere cold um, but anyway there's a there's a spaceship of people and they're like they're the last spaceship of humans out there and they're trying to like come back and he's basically like don't come back um so anyway they're on their way back and as would happen in a sci-fi movie um one of the great um you know the great tropes of the sci-fi movie the space movie is we've got to do a spacewalk something isn't wrong outside the ship much like in sunshine for uh, you know adagio so they need to do a spacewalk and as they're doing a spacewalk, a request is made to kind of, uh, you know, to, to perk up the spirits. And this is what happens. Hey, Sanchez. Yep. How about a little inspiration? Oh, yeah, I think I might have a song for you. Uh, right here. Here we go. Enjoy, kids. Oh, yeah. Where it began, I can't begin to knowing, but that I know is growing strong, strong. (laughs) What in the spring? In the spring. When spring spring became a summer, summer. who'd have believed you'd be all alone? 
hands Touching hands Reaching out Touching me Touching you Should have been a trigger warning. <laughs> I had to take my fucking headphones off. I was like, okay, I, 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 I was, I was in the middle of it watching this movie. I got nothing but bad reviews. Now I will never watch this film. So thank you for saving me two hours. Is it two hours? I presume. Uh, yeah, it's about two hours. Um, so, so we're obviously doing this over Zoom. If anyone saw the movie Host, I feel like I was like watching you guys as characters in Host, where like something truly terrible was happening on the other side. Um, yeah, absolutely inexplicable needle drop in a movie that like. It doesn't need it, um, you know. Uh, that was that was like lots of great actors there: Felicity Jones, David David Uelowo, uh Demian Bashir, all singing along. Uh, unfortunately, George doesn't sing; he just directs them to sing. But um, when we move on to a good one, I've, I've got a good one. Yeah, <laughs> please, yeah, please. Um, Norma, you you mentioned Waves for your score. Um, Waves itself, the movie is basically like just um, needle drop, needle drop yeah. central. You know, um, you know, I've seen it kind of described as like Pitchfork Magnolia, and it, it's, def- <laughs> it's definitely something that you know really works for the movie because um, you know it's a big sprawling drama. Um, you know, it's kind of messy; it doesn't always work at times. But like, good lord, does this movie wear its heart in its sleeve? Um, it was kind of hard to pick the needle drops. Um, you know, there's some absolutely amazing ones in it. Um, there's like a great transition from like Animal Collective to SZA. There's a Fuck Buttons one. There's like a very on the nose Kanye one. Um, the one I've gone for is the one that ends the movie. And yes, listener, it did make me cry a little bit. Um, it's this one. You're crazy, Yes, of course, the white guy in his mid-30s picked the Radiohead song in this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was True Love Waits. It's, um, yeah, it's just like, it's it's kind of towards the end of the movie. It's over a montage. It's kind of like it's checking back in on all the characters. It's just like, I mean, it's a beautiful song. Uh, has been for, for years and it's just used so expertly here. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. Norma Howard, what did you pick for this? Um, do you do you want to play the clip? Yeah, Are play the gonna... clip. Play the clip there. All right, we'll play the clip.
like John Peel there, unintentionally. <laughs> <laughs> and I go at it again. Um, so that was True Love Waves. <laughs> Needle drop in waves. It is, it was like, oh my God, it caught me so off guard. It utterly destroyed me. It's, like you said, it's such a beautiful song. Um, the soundtrack in general is great. I think it's a fairly um, surprising choice for the soundtrack in itself. Well, I guess that's surprising, but I just like I just didn't expect Radiohead to pop in. Um, yeah, it just comes at the most beautiful moment. It's like the lyrics itself are obviously very specific to Tom York, but it I just feel like when I was watching Waves, I understood everything the characters were going through. It destroyed me. I I there's nothing else to say. It was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, like what what you're saying about like obviously like, you know, Tom York singing, but like the 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 soundtrack of this movie, like it's basically just like a stand-in. Like it's it's very very literal. Like I think early in early days before it came out, people were like, "Oh, this movie is actually like a musical," and then it was like, "No, it's not." But um, yeah, it's it's very on the nose. Like there's you know you know an angry scene where uh, Calvin Harrison's uh, character is like wrecking room, and it's like it's Tyler's. I fucking hate you, and it's just like super aggressive. You know when he's kind of like kind of losing it a bit it's like i am a god um yeah it's it's fantastic i I wasn't expecting it either um you know it's very much like what teenagers would listen to for the most part except for kind of the animal collective thing kind of kind of is like a little bit like really are 16 year olds listening to like 10 year old animal collective songs okay maybe but um yeah the Love cool it. ones are Higgs. I'll have you know. Um, <laughs> I was like fairness, harsh on teenagers. <laughs> it is a it is needle drop the movie. I, I I think it's a great film. I can appreciate criticisms against it, but I really do like it. And it's funny because like I actually tracked down that clip for Norma, and like while I was while <laughs> I was the, watching it's the, my only answer, you knew. <laughs> but while I was god. watching the clip, I got really upset. I was like, oh god, it's so sad. And I was just like, yeah, I think I actually will revisit that film. Um, and I got to it quite late. It is great though. Um, it's funny because like on this one. I mean, like, I was spoiled for choice. There's an indie film called Jungle Land with um, Jack O'Connell and Charlie Hunnam. And on the opening credits, they play the acoustic version of Rostam's In a River. And I was like, okay, movie, you have me. Um, I have to fucking mention King of Staten Island here. It has the cheat codes on. Your Hand in Mine by Explosions in the Sky is in there. It closes on Pursuit of Happiness by Kid Cudi. And it has a song uh, called One Headlight by the Wallflowers, which I'd never heard before, but they use it quite well. And I then just jammed it all fucking year. Um, I was going to go with Waves as well. I was going to go with Fuck Buttons popping up because the whole thing about Waves is I was like, I'm watching it. It's about an hour in. And I'm like, my God, I'm like, this is just needle drop after needle drop after needle drop to the point where I'm like, and it is telling you how the characters are feeling. And I'm like, yeah, maybe you're overdoing this. You're definitely overdoing Is that Surf Solar by Fuck Buttons? Okay. <laughs> I love you. Um, but instead... Uh, I feel like I need to kind of just change the tone a bit, uplift it a bit. Uh, can I have some Gigi D'Agostino, please, Higgins? Thanks.
Pikachu tune! <laughs> it's L'Amour Toujours by Gigi Dagasino, which inexplicably closes on Cut Gems. And uh, yeah, it's a belter. But look, we'll move on. Um, Can I just very, very yes, briefly, please. when I saw Uncle Gems in the cinema, and like, because it's such a stressful film, and then it just like, the song comes on, and everyone's just like, yeah! It's the um, uh, Italian pandemic lockdown favourite, of course. Remember, it's played but, in uh, some complex or something? Yeah. Uh, again, friend of the podcast Tahir Droni said when he saw it twice so he saw it again in New York and he said it was just a really weird seeing the difference of reactions to like in Ireland it was like oh wow this is amazing he said that in New York that song came on and everyone was just like what is this song what is this song like it was just <laughs> dead silence just very weird um so yeah I find that gas it's one of a kind. Uh, best trash. Can you introduce this one, Dave Higgins? It, this this really comes from our our cinema days, which are no longer with us, unfortunately. You know, midweek escapes to to the Swan and Rath mines for uh, six euro films. <laughs> yeah, so we we used to go, and uh, I think that I can't remember what what started it, but it was basically like let's just go see any old any old shite as long as it's half price. We're probably going to be okay with it. So some like. Some early ones were like, uh, I think 47 Meters Down or Johannes Robert's 47 Meters Down is like, is like the main movie we kind of lean on. Or Den of Thieves um, would be a, a, a Trash Tuesday classic. Rampage is another one, I guess. And like yeah. fucking, I don't know. Yeah, it's like, it, it, it's it's go have fun, go have popcorn, don't think too much about it. Almost intentionally pick what you think will be a bad film. Like ironic dickheads, but also lovable ones, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we're we're not necessarily going to snigger at the movie, but um, sometimes you snigger, sometimes you're, you know, you're surprised. Um, so what what have you got? Uh, so yeah, I guess best trash. Uh, you've mentioned it already. The Old Guard, for me, uh, I think is a very enjoyable film, and it is trashy. Like, it is kind of, you know, comic booky. It's Netflix. It's always like, oh, this is going to suck. You know, it's about undead, whatever. Um, you know, Charlie's Theron leading a, a, like an immortal band of you know mercenaries or whatever and yeah i mean like it's it's got slightly more to it um i found it enjoyable i found myself invested by the end of it to the point where i was like yeah give me a sequel um and on top of that like it has moments that you don't necessarily expect there's one great scene in particular where two of the guys on the team are partners and they're like captured by some guys and they're you know mocking them for being gay and then like one of them has this incredibly disarming speech where he says he's not just my boyfriend like he's and then he goes into this big fucking emotional thing about how they've been together for centuries and you know how he's his great love and then they kiss in front of them and i was like you know in the wrong director's hands that scene is played all wrong but it felt quite nice and quite you know cool and like why don't we see more of this kind of stuff and it didn't feel like like you mentioned the marvel thing didn't feel like they were patting themselves on the back doing it it just felt like that's a really good character beat and it's a nice moment in the film so yeah it's it's kind of weird enough it sets up up for a sequel and I'll watch it. Good on you, Netflix. What about you? Um, for me, there could only be one answer for this. It's Bad Boys for Life because I knew it would be. It is, it is, <laughs> it is a movie that we saw together on the, in the cinema this year, and my Tuesdays haven't been as trashy since. Oh, Dave, I like Henry. I assumed Bad Boys would be yours as well. It should have been when I it mean, was uh, when it was brought up early. I was like, yeah, I'm only soon. now I'm only now realizing my error. I should have switched them out, and we should have had Old Guard in the same category and Bad Boys in the same category. But I I, I made a mistake. I panicked. I said to you, Norma earlier on. I was like, I I wrote my stuff down kind of on a whim one day, and I didn't go back to it. And I probably should have re- revised it for this. But I agree. Bad Boys was 
trashy as fuck so yeah it qualifies uh what do you have for this one bear in mind norma that i know you, we haven't we haven't been able to make trash tuesday a trio thing in the pandemic but no and this is something i was discussing earlier about i uh i did i don't know what it is i i struggled with exactly what i thought trash was because I feel like if you were to say Google that as a thing, Den of Thieves is something that would come up as like the epitome of a trash film. Um, so I definitely struggled with trying to find something because I actually didn't feel like I had watched much this year that would fit the thing incredibly. So I had to go with my own individual version of the best trash of the year, which goes to your vision, Fire Saga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's was I too harsh? I like I threw it out again after watching it the first time when we did it on the podcast, and I was like, you know what? It's absolutely grand. It's got some funny gags in it. It's got some good songs. You know, it's got moments that work. It's got a lot of things that don't work, but it was good crack. Yeah, I might have been too harsh on it. I mean, it's bad, but it's not as bad as maybe, for example, yesterday, which I think we did around the same time. And I was like, that film is just fucking grotesque. Um, Yeah, I mean, trash can be. I, I, I feel like definitely. That is the right spirit, and hopefully at some point this year we can all go see a terrible but good film together. Uh, best group slash ensemble cast performance is up next, and for me, this conversation begins and ends with one word, and that word is parasite. Anybody with me? I am. <laughs> that was that like a, a shout-out we meant to answer. Um, absolutely, yeah. I, there is incredible cast performance, um, and specifically with the idea of ensemble that they all just work so well together. Like I would find it difficult to pull out like specific people out of it because they all complement each other so well. They just work fantastically. Um, Their timing with each other. This like, I feel like there's moments like I've watched it. I actually think I've watched it maybe four times now. And I feel like there's times where I'm like, the performances are just so supported by each other. It's just so reassuring. I don't ever have to worry about it. David Higgins, who um, side are you on? My my top three are three waves. Uh, two parasite. I agree with everything you said. Like it's a remarkable cast. Number one, don't is, say mank. Is, if the next word out of your mouth is mank, <laughs> is easily uncut gems. Um, this is one of the the best casts I've like ever seen in a movie and let me qualify that like i'm not saying that every you know actor in this is like from top to bottom you know uh, you know classic thespian but just in terms of like how it's cast is amazing like you obviously like you kind of you have like the slight adam sandler reclamation project to to kind of drive the vehicle you have like some great established actors like eric gogosian adina menzel uh someone on the up like lakeith stanfield and then like the way that all the supporting characters are just like filled out with like either people who aren't actors, but are like, you know, Kevin Garnett or it's the weekend uh, down to, you know, people like Mike Francesa, who's like one of the bookies in it, who's like this really famous New York sports radio personality um, that kind of gives it this like level of authenticity um, to 
you know, the kind of the main kind of henchman in it who had never been an actor before and was like, you know, a fireman who was like a first responder at 9-11. And he's just like this amazing looking face. Like they just basically, the Safdies and I guess their casting director, they go out and they just like see people on the street and they're like, this person looks really interesting. And they somehow make it work in Uncle Gems. Um, You know, you have that gambler towards the end of the movie who just like looks like he's wearing makeup, but it's actually this like person that they just found again. And then, yeah, just that, like it has some like really clever cameos as well. Like John Amos plays himself, you know, he just pops up. Uh, Tilda Swinton has a voice cameo in it. Um, yeah, I just think it's fantastic. Like it could go so wrong um, in terms of like, you know, quality actors, like clearly the actors in Parasite are better. They're some of the best going. And I would also maybe apply that to Waves as well. But yeah, just in terms of like the high wire act of uh, Uncle Gems, it has to be for me. Right, we go from group ensemble performance to supporting performance now. Norma, who you got? Um, so for supporting performance, um, I hope I am going to say this right. Adele Hanel? Hanel? Adele Hanel. She plays Heloise. Okay. Adele Hanel. That sounds like a, a ridiculous name just because it rhymes. But she plays Heloise in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And um, she is absolutely stunning in it. I was completely taken in by her. Um, like for the first half of the film, I feel like she doesn't even say much. And I was just so involved. She gives a really subtle, beautiful performance. Um, it's like... That film in general is absolutely gorgeous as well. Um, I went with her for supporting because I feel like Marianne is the lead, but like I am very much open to uh, that being interpreted differently, <laughs> if that is the case. Yeah, I mean, we might as well talk about it now. Um, I have her, I have her in lead performance, but <laughs> no, okay. But it's right, it's right. it's I've I've done some kind of cheating on the edges of mine, um, and yeah, like, it, I mean, if if this was if this was going forward for like an Oscar, one of them would go lead, one would go supporting, even though I, they're both leads. But yeah, so it doesn't I kind of really broke it down a bit that way, just for the case of like I don't know, I guess from a a narrative standpoint, they would see Marianne as the lead. Um, but yeah, Adele Hanel, absolutely stunning. I And even afterwards, I was like, I would watch her in anything. She's so committed. I believed every single word that came out of her mouth. It's just so sincere and interesting and fun and quite like playful as well. Absolutely loved her in it. So who you got yeah. for supporting Higgs? Um, well, I, I might as well just say my bit on Adele Hanel, so I'm not coming <laughs> back to it in, in lead performance. Um, yeah, I, I I'm sorry, agree I ruined it. One hundred percent with with Norma. Um, yeah, she's remarkable in it. Like um, this movie is a movie of just like longing glances, and like her in particular, it just like your heart would stop watching this movie watching her. Um, you know, particularly I think of like the scene where. Um, you know, she she wants to know kind of basically like what music sounds like. She's like, I've only really been to like churches and heard like kind of choirs. She's never heard like a, an orchestra. And she has like the kind of a very rough version of um, of Vivaldi's uh, Summer played for her on a harpsichord. And like, 
the the shot just like holds the whole time and she's just like gazing <laughs> the whole time and you know yeah it's just absolutely remarkable getting getting well up here even talking about it. <laughs> uh, and now, but, but sorry but, but, but you're going to pivot gracefully now to your best supporting performance of Joe Pantoliano in Bad Boys for Life I assume right? <laughs> yeah so so Norma you've only done one I have three because I'm just wanted to make nods to a couple of people um, the first one is Maria Bakalova who's in uh, Borat's subsequent movie film um, just basically for being able to keep up with Sacha Baron Cohen like you know he is notoriously like never ever breaks character and for someone to kind of be able to come in and like basically go toe-to-toe with him in every scene and she even has some other scenes like you know the the, the Giuliani scene that is like must have been like a ter- terrifying thing on so many levels to have to film um she's really 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 funny in it uh she's really charming um there's like there's one moment where i think she's actually almost making sasha baron cohen break which is like phenomenal um so yeah just like a really really good comedic performance and uh, my second one is park sodam uh from parasite she plays uh, the daughter, Jessica. I think she's like an absolute scene stealer in this movie. Um, I just love when she gets to the park's house to begin with. And she just like has such disdain for like the mother. And like you have this like, you know, uh, difficult child who she just like immediately goes in. It's like, no, I, I, I go in here alone with him. And it's like manners are on this child immediately. Um, yeah, I hadn't seen her in anything before. So uh, I look forward to her popping up in stuff in the future. And my number one, again, this could technically be a lead because it's kind of like she's a support for the first half and then she's kind of she's the lead for the second half. But uh, Taylor Russell and Waves, um, another person I'd never seen before. Um, she's remarkable in it, even when I thought that she was just kind of like in the background uh, to Kelvin Harrison's character. Um, she has like a beautiful moment with him when he kind of comes home and he's completely fucked up and like she's comforting him. Um, and then when she kind of comes to the fore more in the movie, she has like amazing chemistry with Lucas Hedges, who um, is remarkable in this. And I kind of feel like the rest of the movie is kind of like through her eyes. Um, yeah, she's just great. She's like really vulnerable in it, but she has a toughness about her. Um, Again, look forward to seeing her again in the future. Uh, real quick on Park Sodam. She's absolutely amazing in Parasite. She has my favourite image in the movie. I think it's when like the flood happens outside their house or their apartment, rather, and she sits atop a fucking toilet seat that is spewing acrid liquid everywhere and she's smoking and like it might be a bit of an on the nose image for some but i thought it was really compelling uh, i didn't include any like once once i gave my ensemble award to the parasite crew i was like you're gone no more for you so <laughs> alas uh but i will say like in terms of like supporting i guess like i guess you know delroy lindo's in there despite what i said earlier on julia fox and uncut gems amanda seyfried and mank uh bokeem woodbine and queen and slim pierce brosnan's accent in eurovision the story of fire saga and um ultimately my number one though is uh also taylor russell from waves uh, which i thought was an outstanding performance she fucking blew my mind and broke my heart especially because this character is sidelined for the first half of the film you don't know for sure if it's going to be her film for the second half and it very much is uh here's a scene with her and sterling k brown as her father who is equally great and is outstanding in this film i think i really need to watch waves again after i do this podcast but that's for february but let's hear the clip you know i could have stopped it stopped what what do you mean well 
<clears throat> I was there that night and I saw him following her. And I I had that sick feeling in my stomach. Um would have gotten up, you know, if I just would have gotten up, then I would have went up to him and stopped him, and she would still be here, so it just, yeah, it is, no, it's not, no, and you can't blame yourself for it, you didn't do this, your brother did it, I chose not to do anything, I don't know why I did that, this is not your fault, it is, it's not your fault, Emma, I hate him so much. What he did is evil, Dad. He's evil. He's a he's a monster. I understand. He's a monster for doing that to I her. I understand that you're angry. You How have every right do to that? be. Do you hear me? But your brother, he's he's not a monster. He's not evil. He's just a human being. Just incredible stuff um, from an actor I'd never seen before. Just dominates the film in a film in which people dominate it like all the time. Uh, Sterling K. Brown, I think, is an incredible actor. I wish he was in more stuff. I haven't seen that fucking This Is Us show that I think he's on. But like any time I do see him in anything, he's usually the best thing in it. But um, talk about holding your own and talk about like really like making a statement. I just believed everything, melted into the characters. So impressive. Even hearing that clip, I get kind of goosebumps. It's a yeah. Listen, I mean, it's a film that fucking hits you emotionally and maybe like. I, I've, I've read some reviews that really went after it and gave out about it and about its construction and, and the fact that the director Trey Edward Schultz is that the name um, apparently he wrote it about a family and then later changed it to an African American family and some people have kind of taken out a white guy doing that and maybe there are ethical boundaries that were crossed but I can only deal with the art that I see in front of me and I thought Waves when it worked in a scene such as that was just absolute knockout uh, we will move into lead performance and I'll just jump in first because uh, real quick shouts to my boys Pete Davidson in The King of Staten Island and Charlie Hunnam in Jungle Land I maintain that Charlie Hunnam is a good actor in the right role and he's great in this one as a very very desperate dude but uh, my joint lead performance winners are Adele Hanel and Naomi Merlant in Portrait of a Lady on Fire for all of the reasons that Norman Higgs have already outlined. Just outstanding. Just unbelievable. I now feel like an asshole for putting her <laughs> in the supporting role. But it's the, cla- no, but it's the classic thing though, isn't it? I was trying to be ruthless about this and really kind of... But I mean, like, think about it, like, like Brad Pitt wins for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood supporting true, actor, yeah. but but that's a co-lead, you know, like, I mean, like, that's very clearly like a two-hander. This felt like a two-hander. Uh, that's semantics. It's just two outstanding performances in a film that fucking broke my heart. But uh, yes, that's me. Norma, who's your lead? Um, yeah, so I I jumped around this a little bit and then I decided it was a worthy winner and it's going to go to Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. Um, Justice for Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. Like, I remember coming out of that film and, like, for about two hours afterwards, I felt shell-shocked. And then it's only afterwards that it really started to settle in just how incredible his performance was. It's such an insane character, and he rises to that tempo of the Safdie brothers without overdoing it. It never just feels like it's too much because it's just the right tone 
for the film and what they want to do. And he, he's just so sincere and he's so pathetic and so sad and so insane. And um, a little bit from like what Higgs was saying about it being an ensemble performance, like he's definitely held up a bit by having a great cast behind him. But yeah, he kind of broke my heart a lot in it, even though he's the worst person, like the character is the worst person alive. He's absolutely disgusting and horrible and an absolute piece of shit. And yet I still was like, oh my God, this poor man, just please let him be okay and happy. Um, so yeah, I've already mentioned Adele and Elle. Um, I, my number three, I'm just going to play a little clip of just because um, I don't think we really kind of get to, to, to hit on this movie enough and it, it's definitely a worthy one. You don't like me cooking? Oh, don't be such an old bitch! You're drunk! You don't know what you're talking about. How can I possibly like the horse shit you fix us for supper? You're drunk! I, you won't be saying that. In the kitchen shanty cooking. It was fried donuts three you're times drunk. a day. You're Country drunk. Country hand bigger you're than your drunk. Food. I'm drunk. I'm you heard me. You've been drunk. Damn ye! Drunk since I first laid eyes on you. You're fond of me lobster, ain't you? Drunken in a Virginia fence. I seen it. You're fond of me lobster. Oh, wow. Incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, with much like Portrait of Lady on Fire, um, you could have picked either of these two, uh, Willem Dafoe or Robert Pattinson. I think Dafoe is like slightly better in this in, in The Lighthouse. Um, it's probably like the funniest performance of the year, but... Um, you know, there's also like such a menace to his character in it. Um, he's such an utter bastard. Um, this is a very, very rewatchable movie, even given how like brutal it looks. And it's like, you know, it's, you know, its aspect ratio is confrontational. It's got like a difficult soundtrack. It, you know, you know, it's in black and white. Like it shouldn't be an easy watch, but it, it weirdly is, even though, you know, it's got some like haunting images in it as well. And I think it's mostly down to like the comedy between the two of them is fantastic. So uh, he was my three. Hanel was my two. And I'm guessing in no surprise to anyone at this point, Adam Sandler is my number one. Um, yeah. Uh, echoing what Norma said, this is like this movie d- d- does not work without him. He is like the motor of this film. Um his ability to like kind of like just seem to be doing four or five different things at a time like when they're in that diamond store shop and he's like he's talking to one person he's on his phone like he's kind of like half listening to someone else like it's so so compelling uh, i think kind of helped by the fact that like the safties just like overlay dialogue on top of each other and you kind of you get into that chaos but um yeah, you totally you totally cheer for for Howie. You want him to get out. You want him to you want him to win big. Um, I think he's got amazing chemistry with like everyone in this movie because you know, as I said before, like there's lots of people who aren't primarily actors, and all of them have to interact with Sandler. And I feel like he brings the best out of them. Um, I'm sure like he seems like a very personable guy who like would make everyone like feel at ease. But um, yeah, just a fantastic performance. It's a movie I've went back to twice this year. I'm getting into Once Upon a Time 
in Hollywood territory like you are with it. <laughs> I I'm absolutely on six, love it. man. You, you got some, <laughs> you got you got some work to do to catch up with me. Real quick on the lighthouse, by the way. Uh, one of my favorite reviews on Letterboxd uh, that I saw during the year after I watched Lighthouse was someone who has like two lines of dialogue as if they're from the film. And the first one is Thomas, you're fond of me lobster, ain't you? Winslow, are ye in the right headspace to receive information that could possibly hurt ye? I was like, fucking hell. <laughs> it's just perfect. Uh, yeah, great film. Very scary, the old lighthouse. Um, right, uh, moving on. We're nearly done. Best movie. Again, I'll just jump right in and say Parasite because I just feel like nothing else came close. Um, there was some very good films this year, but it, it was Parasite all the way. I feel like Jane Fonda pulling out the envelope and just saying Parasite out loud. But it's a, I think it's a perfect film. I mean, I know that it kind of builds pressure cooker style to an inevitable explosion, and the explosion might be too much for some. Um, but I thought it was really, really well realized. I think the ending is heartbreakingly, tragically beautiful. Uh, it, it looks amazing. It's so confident. You know, you know this film. If you haven't seen it, I don't know why you're listening to a podcast about films because fuck me, it is that good. And I saw it in the lighthouse. Um, shortly before shut down, and it was just such a fucking pleasure to be there. And yeah, it's amazing. Norma, what's your film of the year? It's Parasite. Get in. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have a clip for this because, I, uh, as we've mentioned before, having um, foreign language films doesn't necessarily the most fun to listen to if you're. English speaking but um, so I would just say go out and watch the film again if you haven't what have you been doing Um, I've seen it like I think definitely three maybe four times now Um, can I ask have you watched it in black and white because I know that that was a version no so this was something I was going to ask as well because yeah it came out and it's kind of like the way Mad Max had like a chrome edition it did it's like Parasite in black and white. Is it worth it? I quite like the colour palettes of the film. And yeah, I, I haven't feel seen like, it. Like, it felt kind of like, why? You know, but I guess yeah, it's there for I don't know if it's like a so. weird fun fan thing. Like, the colour in the film is absolutely gorgeous. Um, just to reiterate everything Dave said, it's an absolutely stunning film. Really kind of caught me off guard as well. I thought I had it worked out. I thought I knew what was going on. Um, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Best film of the year. Uh, my my number two of the year uh, obviously I absolutely love it it's remarkable um, haven't watched the black and white version I think it might actually do well because there's like great work with shadows in it so maybe they get accentuated by it um, but yeah um, it's a movie that is very very easy to revisit there's lots of new things to get from it each time and you know, I think when people talk about it, they, you know, they rightly talk about how Bong makes movies um, that have very, very good social commentary. But the thing I always love about him is his movies are so bloody entertaining. And this movie is just like, it's so perfectly constructed um, that, you know, you can see it being wound up, you know, kind of off screen and you know it's going to go off. And like, it's still so pleasurable when it does. Um, yeah, obviously the cast is amazing. Uh, Song Kang Ho is like, you know, one of the greats out there, the true greats. And um, it was amazing to finally kind of like see him, who's someone who, you know, if you if you got like the Tartan Asia Extreme DVDs back in the day, like he's a very, very familiar face. So to see him kind of get like global recognition was amazing. Um, just a couple of other movies. Yeah, Portrait was my three. Um Dick Johnson is Dead was my four. I think I talked about it before. Uh, beautiful documentary um, on Netflix. One of the, probably the better things that's on there. Um, but obviously my number one 
is uncut gems um yeah i'm I'm, I'm developing a, an unhealthy relationship with this movie but it kind of like has everything that i want in a film um yeah just um such a compelling narrative a lot of people kind of talk about the stress that they they find watching this i find this like a bomb to watch like you know it's just <laughs> stick it on and relax and even you know when you know he's been chased by eric Rigozian's thugs i'm like no nah, it's it's all right and i don't get the stress of the uh the boston celtics philadelphia game in 2012 like i know kg's gonna come through <laughs> um i just i just love it i love the world that they created so i know like they didn't they essentially just went to that world and like they recreated it um yeah as i said i think i said before like i've never been to new york but like that i feel like i'm there i'm in it i kind of you feel it completely um yeah that's one for me i do have sorry i have one honorable mention and just because it's also a music podcast um for Best movie, honorable mention, goes to David Byrne's American Utopia. I watched it New Year's Eve night and it was absolutely incredible. So beautiful. He is amazing. He is the coolest person alive, maybe. (laughs) Just everything he does, he just commits to it entirely with every last inch of his body. And it's just so entertaining, so wonderful, so beautiful. Um, absolutely loved it. So I think it's directed by Spike Lee. It is indeed. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I saw um, the I saw the gig, which was one of the greatest gigs I've ever been to. And yeah. I'm almost kind of reluctant to watch a TV version of it. I mean, if I had gone to the gig, I probably wouldn't watch the film. Yeah, but like seeing as I didn't go to the gig, which I deeply regret now, I um, I did. I absolutely absolutely adored it. The choreography, the band, the construction of it, everything is absolutely stunning. Uh, two more before we go, and I'm aware that we are approaching Wonder Woman 1984 levels of, of podcasting yeah. here, but like, what are you going to do? Uh, it's a it's a review of the year. I should note as well, I don't have a trailer prepared, but uh, next time on No Popcorn, when we revert to normal, we're going to do Soul, Pixar's Soul movie. Uh, we're going to talk about that next time on the show. But first, uh, in 2021, I am not excited for, uh, for me... Uh, the Disney bonanza of all the delayed Marvel movies and the never fucking ending Star Wars slate they're lining up uh, a bunch of others really like there's lots of stuff this year that I'm like no 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 uh, Coming to America the sequel The King's Man the fucking prequel to that uh, Chaos Walking which looks like an absolute mess with Tom Holland and Mads Mikkelsen and Daisy Ridley I think Morbius the Jared Leto vampire movie Venom Let There Be Carnage uh, West Side Story which I think was put back already the Steven Spielberg thing and I guess if I had to pick one out of all of these things that I'm just not in the mood for, uh, it's Ghostbusters Afterlife, mate. No, thank you, Norma. What uh, What are you desperate to not see this year? Um, I tried to boil it down to three films because there's so many out there that I absolutely do not want to watch. That have a lot of them have been pushed back from what was meant to be released this year. But my top three are Venom, Let There Be Carnage, Suicide Squad Two, and James Bond. No time oh, to hell. die. I'll watch two of those. Couldn't care less. <laughs> <laughs> Could not care less about James Bond and what he's up to. <laughs> Higgs. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm already kind of. I already feel blockbuster fatigue, so uh, I won't be going to see The King's Man. Uh, I won't be going to see um, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, yeah, it's most of them. I mean. I know that when the cinemas reopen, you and I will be going to see Venom 2, uh, Let There Be Carnage. 
And I'm assuming we'll be going to see Morbius, but yeah, Don't Breathe 2 won't be bothering. Um, yeah, I kind of feel like it's just going to be a little bit exhausting next year. In lots of different ways. This year, we're in the year. It's happening right now. So yeah, um, on the flip side though, Norma, what have you already bought your metaphorical ticket for this year? Um, so I tried to narrow that down a little bit. One of these films, I think, technically came out in 2020 in... It may be available to watch, but it is at top of my list of plan- things I plan to watch. So it's One Night in Miami. I think it could be out already. Yes. I've seen it reviewed. I know it's in like this yeah. month's Empire magazine, but I don't um, know how That might be an American release, but I am very excited to see One Night in Miami. Nomadland, uh, The French Dispatch and Dune. I am so excited for Dune. I cannot... I cannot wait. Are you excited to watch it on your television screen? Because that's one of the big yeah, ones. I know. Denis Villeneuve was like, what the fuck? No, <laughs> this was made for the cinema. What are you doing? Um, so yeah, that's my roundup of what I'm excited for. All right, Higgs? I feel like I can just revisit things I said last year. Um, Soggy Bottom. <laughs> yeah. uh, Soggy Bottom, which is the, I hope, just working title of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie, uh, set in the seventies, about a you know famous child actor, uh, Bradley Cooper has got incredible, incredible tan and uh, wardrobe in this movie. One of the Safdie brothers is in it. Um, what else do I have? The Matrix Four is something I'm actually genuinely excited for. Um, yeah, that's that's a world I will happily revisit. Um, and one that's kind of kind of popped up lately. I kind of flew under the radar. Deep Water is um an adaptation of a Patricia Highsmith novel um and it's uh, Adrian Lyne making a movie for the first time since Unfaithful it's an erotic we, thriller i believe it, it's an erotic <laughs> thriller it's it's the thing that they say they don't make anymore these days you know but but they actually make quite a lot of them um but yeah uh, i i read the book it's a really good book um, that a, it's been Affleck like and Anna de Armas isn't it it's like what brought brought them together exactly yeah so you know the story. Oh is God, is that like what sparked the romance? I believe so. It'll be weird if it is because it's about like a husband and wife who are in like this loveless marriage. Yeah, I'm not sure if they've updated it for modern times, but obviously it was like written in the 50s, and basically like they are divorced in all but name, but they still live together, and the wife is allowed to like have other lovers, um, and the husband is a 100% sociopath. Um, Patricia Highsmith is probably the greatest writer when it comes to doing sociopaths, like. Ridley and Strangers on a Train. So, yeah, I'm just really excited. Like, all the kind of elements are good. It could be absolute schlock, but, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Oh, it's going to be schlock. Um, (laughs) Matrix 4, I'm right there with you. Uh, I want to go back to that world. I want them to get it right. And, you know, I think you got two out of three good films there. Reloaded works more on me every time I rewatch it. So I'm looking forward to see what they do there. Uh, And I've got a bunch of others. I mean, like I mentioned Sound of Metal. Uh, I want to see that. I want to see The Many Saints of Newark, despite not being a Sopranos fan. I'm curious to see what they'll do with that, the prequel thing. Uh, Mortal Kombat is coming back, and the cast is amazing. So I'm in there straight away uh, another round Mads Mikkelsen I want to see that Promising Young Woman I'm, I really want to see that as well Fast and Furious 9 which of course got delayed by a year Top Gun Maverick and uh, if it happens if it happens Mission Impossible 7 of course I can't wait I want to be back on the big screen big screen big movie Tom Cruise that's all I want 
So yeah. The gold standard. It's the gold standard. Uh, and yeah, that was our gold, silver and bronze and other standards for, for 2020. Norma Howard and David Higgins, I thank you so, so much for, for this epic chat. We're back. Ready to be locked down again forever and watch movies and stuff, I suppose. Uh, yeah, that's no popcorn. I'm going to go back to my January watching of, you know, new films I've never seen before. You're in Kubrick mode, Higgs, are you? What's your story? Yeah, um, my girlfriend has called it Stan Jan. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> uh, Norma, what's your slate of movies for the next few weeks? Um, I had kind of like, I was talking about this a little bit earlier, about how I kind of had a funny year for films. I found, I don't know whether it was a case of like, um, due to being in lockdown, wanting, I watched an awful lot of TV series. And I don't know whether that's just because I knew I was going to be in the same place every day. So more long form storylines and narratives seemed more appealing. So I'm going to try and force myself in January, not force myself, but get into the habit of watching as many new releases as I can. Because I was, I watched a lot of films this year, but a lot of them are quite old ones. So I'm going to try and push myself for the new releases and see some of the things that are being like Oscar contention or Oscar contender stuff coming out but Promising Young Woman is one that we mentioned we were chatting about earlier so that is top of my watch list when it comes out or when it's available sweet Uh, thank you both Uh, my name is Dave Hanready this has been The Popcorn there will be no popcorn and to play us out it's Sound of the Summer L'Amour Toujours by Gigi (laughs) D'Agostino back soon bye podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.